Hello and welcome to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. Today I'm joined by naturopath and herbalist Gemma Herditch. Gemma is also a core member of the CNM team. Gemma is going to be talking to us about skin health and the causes of common skin complaints such as acne and dry skin. She'll also be explaining the role of gut health in relation to skin and the natural approach to healthy skin. Gemma is an Australian trained naturopath with over 15 years experience. Gemma provides education and training in nutrition and naturopathy for a number of online colleges around the world. And she also runs a private clinic specializing in women's and children's health. Gemma has been a part of CNM's academic team for 10 years, lecturing and supervising clinics. Hi, Gemma. How are you? Hi, Michelle. Well, thank you. Great. Thanks so much for joining me today to share your wisdom with us. It's great to have you on the show all the way from sunny Sydney. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to be with you. Thank you. So skin health is a hot topic, especially when conditions like acne and eczema are so prevalent. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your tips and advice on skin nutrition and also the impact that the gut has on our skin. But before we get into that, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience as a practitioner and also your role at CNM? Absolutely. Uh, well, I grew up in Australia where we have um, a very strong interest in natural therapies and my parents took us to natural therapists as we were growing up. So it was always part of my life and I think um, it seemed like such a lovely such a lovely job to do to be able to help people get in control of their health and, and make an impact that would really help improve their life for throughout their lifespan rather than just the pill for an ill idea, which I think is a bit too common in um, mainstream medicine where you come in with a complaint with something like acne and you just maybe get a pill and we don't look at all of the other factors that could have been driving that particular condition. So I studied in Australia and then I ended up moving to London and got involved with the CNM um, after I'd run a practice in Australia for a couple of years, which I I really enjoyed. And then um, about five years ago, we returned to Australia and I've been continuing to practice and continuing to support CNM and other colleges um, from here. That's fantastic, Gemma. So what sort of things do you do at CNM? What's the core part of your role at the moment? Um, Student support um, in terms of their academic and clinical learning is my um, main role at the moment. I also help in um, providing lecture material and um, supporting students with writing up clinical case studies and really getting the most out of their uh, clinical experience by discussing what, um, what they're doing with their clients and how that might be appropriate for each different individual. Okay, fantastic. So now let's move on to skin health because you're going to be well versed in helping us on the skin topic. So can you please just give us a bit of an overview of the skin? What's the main function of skin and what role does it play in the body? Well, the skin is actually a very interesting organ. It's our largest organ um, and it has a lot of different functions. So it functions as a barrier, like a physical barrier, of course, protecting us from you know, things like water, allergens, um, microbes. It's also a thermal barrier, you know, protecting us from temperature and giving us sensations of heat and cold and, you know, helping us communicate with the outside world. It also helps us with our temperature regulation. So when our sweat evaporates, that helps to cool us down. We might um, shiver, for example, as well, in our, um, which 
is in part assisted by the skin and um, that will help warm us up. We synthesize vitamin D, which is an important vitamin and hormone um, within our skin. And it's also, and this is particularly important for naturopaths, uh, considered to be an excretory organ or an organ of detoxification. So we will um, sweat out toxins like aluminium and cadmium from cigarette smoke via our sweat, um, drugs, etc. I mean, it's not, shall we say, as effective as the liver and the kidneys, but it does help when those organs are attacked and we need some help, you know, getting rid of various toxins and things that we don't want within our body. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So so just going back to the, the vitamin D, so what role specifically does vitamin D play with our skin? Well, um, our skin creates our vitamin D when we're in sunlight, when we have UVB light on us, which we need to, well, vitamin D is important for basically every cell of our body. And one of the interesting things about the vitamin D that's made in our skin is that we need to have a particular type of sunlight. It can't be through glass. So if we're inside an office job all day and rarely seeing the sun, or if we wear a lot of clothing, um, sunscreens, then we're not going to be making that vitamin D. And the vitamin D, I mean, it's very, it's quite difficult to think of a system that it doesn't help support in some way because we have vitamin D receptors basically in all of the cells of our body. Absolutely. I know we were just talking about it last week just in terms of the musculoskeletal system. And it is, it's just, it's fundamental for every cell in the body on some level. So, so no, it's super important. Absolutely we've got different types of skin, haven't we? So they've sort of categorized them as five main types. So you've got sort of your oily, dry, sensitive, combination and normal. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk us through these different types and the sort of characteristics of each one? Absolutely. So um, often we'll find oily skin is something that happens to us in our teen years because it's quite affected by um, rising levels of hormones. So you know, you'll get that sort of oily um, T-zone as well, which is where we call, you know, we go into the combination skin where you've got an oily forehead and perhaps an oily sort of nose area, but the rest of the skin might be relatively dry or normal. Um, oily skin can be a benefit in some respects because the excess sebum or that excess oil can protect the skin Um and lubricate the skin and so you might get you know fewer signs of aging if you you know have oily skin as you go through your life not just in the young years but it can also mean that you have more clogging and the hormones that basically stimulate that that oil that sebum production can also stimulate the um, the production of keratinocytes which is like a sort of like a like a hardened layer of um on within the skin on the epidermis which is the top layer of the skin which can really clog the pores so that's part of the the sort of general pathophysiology or the the general um disease process of of acne formation is that excessive oil and the excessive keratin combining to sort of clog up um the pores and, and create pimples pustules cysts um, you know, that's characteristic of acne. Dry skin, on the other hand, has not got enough oil, so it doesn't have enough of that protection because the sebum and the um, 
and other sort of properties within the skin will actually combine together to create what they call an acid mantle, which is part of the protective barrier of the skin. And if we don't have enough of those properties, then the skin is much more prone to injury from things like viruses, bacteria, you know, general chemical pollutants. So drier skin is often more sensitive skin as well because it doesn't have that protection that that excessive or the or the normal production of oil can offer it. Um, and our skin tends to get drier as we as we age, and that can be because of skin thinning, um, which is another factor in aging, and also just lack of hydration. You know, we might not be drinking enough water. Uh, there's also other factors that are sort of genetic and more to do with the turnover of skin as well. So dry skin, even though it's less likely to get pimples and things like that when you're younger, as you get older, it can mean that it, you know, we need to be a bit more careful to keep it moisturised and um, you know sort of protect it from any external influences. We've also got obviously the sensitive skin. Um, sensitive skin does seem to have some sort of genetic proponent. You know, if your parents had sensitive skin, they're quite reactive to, say, cosmetics or pollutants, smoke, things like that. You're probably more likely to have those sorts of issues yourself, but it can also have a lot to do with what we're eating, whether or not the skin is um, just underlyingly inflamed because of dietary inflammation, gut inflammation, which we'll go into a little bit later on. Uh, and you also find that there's often um, more of a pronounced flushing effect. So flushing prone skin, you sort of lead to worst case scenario is things like rosacea, you know, dilated capillaries, which are often, you know, mistakenly called broken capillaries. And then, of course, you've also got things like your sun-damaged skin. So people that, you know, from my neck of the woods where we've seen a lot of sun, our skin often looks a lot older and a lot has, you know, has weathered a lot more damage than skin that's sort of been a bit more protected. So just going back to the oily skin, because I know a lot of, especially with women, a lot of women do suffer with that oily skin, even in adulthood. It's not just in those teen years. So obviously you mentioned that there are some genetics, you know, environmental does play a part. But what, in terms of what you see in clinic, what are some of the driving factors for that oily skin? Uh, I'd have to say um, the diet is a huge, huge mm. factor. And it's often diets that are high in sugar, high in animal fats or refined carbohydrates. So people have a diet that really messes with their blood sugar is often sort of the precursor for having problem skin, um, particularly in terms of oily skin, excessive sebum production, and then acne. And I think, you know, a, a testimony to that is that people that do things like intermittent fasting or adopt a low glycemic load or low glycemic index diet, often find that their skin problems um, in relation to acne particularly really, really clear up. So keeping our um, blood sugar levels on an even keel is, is really important to stop flare-ups of, of acne or um, you know, problems with, with your skin in that regard. 
there's a lot of different factors sort of underlying that and why why that is a phenomenon but they have found like acne used to be called diabetes of the skin so you know yeah like a like a lack of um sugar control in the skin and and thinking about it too you bacteria loves to feed on sugar so if you you're having high bursts of sugar in your skin not only is it stimulating that production of oil sebum keratin etc that's sort of clogging up the pores but it's also giving the bacteria that will that is found on our skin and with all of us something to feed on as well and something to grow and and sugar will also dampen our immune response so if we're having an inflammatory problem or if we're having a breakout with you know bacteria in our skin it's it's more difficult for the immune system to get there and work and clear it if it's you know having sort of strength dampened by a poor diet high in sugar and high in saturated fats yeah, no, absolutely. So if somebody does have oily skin or overtly oily skin, by changing their diet and just making a few lifestyle changes, they could pull back that oil and sort of get a sort of more even skin tone. Absolutely. Even, absolutely. And dairy is another factor there too, actually. Studies have, have shown that um, dairy fit, and, and that's probably because of, you know, the saturated fat um, component as well and maybe the um, like an insulin-like factor within that dairy food that can um, yeah cause a bit of havoc cause a bit of imbalance within our system so you know particularly teenage boys if they reduce their dairy they often see a really good um reduction when i say reduce often it's just to completely cut it out they they see a, a marked improvement in their skin yeah and how long because this is a question that i get asked a lot so in your experience how long would somebody need to cut, say, dairy out to see an improvement? I think with anything, three months is is a pretty good yardstick of whether or not it's it's having an effect, um, you know, whether that's a change in your skincare routine or your diet or if you start doing exercising or, you know, lymphatic um, skin brushing, things like that. You know, if you give it three months, then it might not clear up the issue entirely, but if if it has made an improvement, then obviously you know that that's worth sticking with. Definitely. And I think that's a good benchmark because a lot of people might try it for a week or two. Now it's not doing anything and then they add the dairy back in. So yeah, that's a good benchmark. I think three months for sure. Great. Okay. So what are some common skin complaints you see in clinic, Gemma? Well, acne would definitely be the number one. And it's not, as you said earlier, it's not just with the, the teenagers. It's it's often going um, through into adulthood or in women, particularly because I do see a lot of women in my clinic um, wanting to conceive. So they have other hormonal challenges and acne is one of them. It's also a feature of um, a, a sort of syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which uh, has some sort of similarities with diabetes as we were talking about um acne being diabetes of the skin and you know there's an imbalance of hormones there so hormonal imbalance leading to skin problems is is definitely a huge one that i see in clinic um some some people come into clinic wanting help with things like rosacea um or eczema 
dermatitis, sort of unknown skin rashes, things that they've been to the doctors for and, you know, that they can only be offered steroid cream. You know, they want sort of to try something different as well. So I see a little bit of that. And also babies with um, similarly sort of unknown origin skin issues, dryness, you know, that, that sort of thing. So just going back to rosacea, what's the main cause of rosacea? Well, rosacea is a really interesting one because they're not completely sure what causes it. There seems to be a number of different contributing factors. Um, Helicobacter pylori is one of them, which is a bacteria that is uh, found in people that have peptic ulcers. Um, Mm -hmm. So low stomach acid can be a major problem for people that go on to develop rosacea. There seems to also be sort of a hereditary tendency as well and there's varying degrees of rosacea some people sort of suffer with just some sort of tingling and flushing when they eat spicy foods or drink alcohol coffee and they find that quite embarrassing you know that they're they're sort of they go quite red or they think that it might make them look like perhaps they're an alcoholic or something like that because you know that sort of um perception that you've got a red nose or flushing that you've been drinking um mm-hmm. so you know which can be quite embarrassing particularly yes. you know for person suffering regularly um and then it goes all the way through to you know presenting quite like an acne as well so um, often working on digestion checking for helicobacter pylori infection can be useful um reducing trigger foods and drinks spices um Things like that can be can be helpful, um, and when I say spices, I mean like re- reducing spices and actually having herbs that might be more calming to the digestive system, like chamomile or aloe vera, etc. So it really depends on the person presenting, what their triggers are, and what what the likely cause is, which is pretty much what what we do as a naturopath is look at what are the triggers for that individual? Like it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's a much more individual targeted approach to the person presenting in front of you rather than, say, a standard formula for acne or a standard formula for rosacea or dry skin, et cetera. It's, it's, It's a lot more specific to that individual's health history, current diet, lifestyle, their goals, and you work together. Absolutely. It's always multifactorial. And this is something I always speak to, to clients about. It's There isn't a one-size-fits-all, as you said. It's sort of, it's again, we have to sort of peel back all the layers and sort of figure out what's going on at the root cause. So let's just talk, you touched on gut health a moment ago. So I just wanted to sort of go into that a little bit deeper because we know gut health is plays a really important role in our overall health, especially in relation to our immune system and our nervous system. But how important is gut health for our skin? Well, I think the gut health um, is really important for our skin because it is important to all of the other systems as well. And the skin sort of is is often one of the, the last frontier in terms of what's going on within us because our skin does certainly reflect our internal environment and if the body is struggling, so if the kidneys are struggling or the liver is struggling or the bowel is struggling, it ends up showing on our face. So um, I think 
gut health can just, well, supporting gut health will support the other internal organs and then in turn will also support the skin. So when we support our gut health, for example, by having a low GL diet, by reducing our dairy products, by increasing our omega-3, so our say our fish or our algal oils, instead of having a lot of more inflammatory sort of omega-6, you know, so having so not having as many, say, plant oils, for example, seed oils, then that is going to reduce inflammation within our within our body, which will then help support us to have a healthier skin. Um, <clears throat> I think that gut health can also really show our sort of atopic tendencies, so our tendencies to um, allergic skin issues, uh, so things like, well, I mean, eczema is certainly one of them. People will have sort of dermatitis-type reactions when they've got a lot of inflammation in their gut. You've probably heard of um, leaky gut as well. Leaky gut is a, is a situation where where don't we don't have tight junctions within our intestines anymore because of various different things. It can be candida infection. It can be drinking too much, eating too many of the wrong foods, excessive stress. And when those tight junctions um, become leaky and they allow small, small proteins or small unwanted chemical compounds, shall we say, going into the blood, it can set off an inflammation. And if you are prone, if you are constitutionally prone to skin conditions, then that's where that inflammation will show up. So you might notice that you always get an itchy rash on your elbows when you're um, stressed about an exam, or it might be that when you are, say, trying to conceive and all of the stress around, is it going to work? Am I going to be able to be a parent? You know, have we just spent all this money on IVF and is it going to go to waste? And all, you know, all the sort of worrying thoughts that can go through your mind when you're going through a stressful situation, you can find that skin issues like eczema, dermatitis, psoriasis can really flare up. Um, because in effect the gut has been disturbed and that inflammation has travelled to our areas that are most prone within the body to to respond to that stress. Absolutely, without a doubt. So I know that myself, if I'm stressed, you'll find these little breakouts can happen as well. Where did that happen? Stress does so much to our body on so many levels, but we can't really hide it when it's on our skin. So just going back to the leaky gut, so some, if somebody has got leaky gut, what are some things that they could do naturally to heal the gut up? Well, avoiding foods that um, trigger leaky gut is is an important part of the process because that way um, you can avoid further damage. And that's sort of a, a process that's best undertaken by seeing a, a naturopath or a nutritional therapist to help support you through um, like a a, like a uh, elimination and challenge diet. Uh, we could also look at having, and this doesn't sound very delicious, but it's great for the gut. We could look at having more cabbage juice, or if you don't like mm. cabbage juice, you could certainly just eat more cabbage because there's properties within cabbage that really help to heal, heal the gut. Um, aloe vera is another one that you can take. You get a nice good quality um, preparation to help heal the gut. Certainly having a plant-based diet predominantly, provided none of the plants that you're eating are your trigger foods. So 
you know, that this is a thing. Sometimes things that we're eating that we think are, you know, traditionally really good for us, say, for example, onions and garlic, they might be something that we're actually quite strongly reacting to if we have, you know, particular intolerances. So if it's something that you've struggled with for quite a while, gut problems, like severe gut problems, then I would definitely recommend going and seeing a naturopath. But if you are just in general finding that perhaps before an exam or before some sort of stressful event at work, etc., you get a, a few little, you know, a bit of a breakout and your tummy just feels a little bit not right, you know, nothing that's too concerning, then I would probably just recommend cutting back on any alcohol which is quite disruptive for the gut, particularly if you're under stress, on any caffeine, so, you know, tea, coffee, and just really reducing your intake of sugar. So refined sugar, I would say don't have that at all. But if you're going to have, you know, something that's a little bit sweet, I'd be looking more at things like your low glycemic fruits and vegetables. So a pear, an apple, you know, some some berries rather than having, you know, say some dried fruit or um, something else that might be, uh, you know, a lot more sugary immediately because that can actually feed, you know, the the, the bad bacteria or the bad um, microorganisms in your gut, you know, things like candida feed off that and we really want to eliminate that as much as possible. Absolutely. Without a doubt, really interesting points there, Gemma, and some great advice. So just in terms of we touched on stress, we've touched on sort of environmental and the gut. So are there any other factors which affect skin? And can you talk to us a little bit about skincare products? I think that is kind of the root cause of a, a lot of people's skin issues, especially when it's sort of like the dermatitis rash type. Absolutely. Um I think with skin products, what I found is less is more. So, you know, people will try all sorts of lotions and potions and different cleansers and scrubs and things, and even things that are uh, marketed as being natural can actually be quite difficult for the skin. So a lot of essential oils can be quite, well, the skin can be quite reactive to them. So I, I usually find if I have clients who have very sensitive skin or, you know, are struggling a lot with skin issues, instead of using, say, a cleanser which might have 15 ingredients in it, I often recommend that they just use a nice microfiber cloth and warm water and use that only to wash the skin it's quite remarkable how the microfiber cloth will actually remove makeup and dirt and grime and allow the skin to return to its sort of normal ph rather than stripping it of everything because it's it's sort of like the problem with using with washing your hair every day the more you strip it the more those um like the sebum producing glands are instructed or in you know encouraged to produce more and more to keep protecting you to keep up that 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 um mental balance so certainly if you're having problems with sensitive skin the first thing i would do is stop using cleanser this is going to sound i'm sure this sounds quite controversial and get yourself a nice microfiber cloth i use a different one every day so you're not reintroducing bacteria onto your skin and just use warm water in the shower to wash your face. 
I prefer jojoba oil, which is spelled J-O-J-O-B-A, which has um, similar properties to natural skin oils as a moisturizer. I mean, again, this is a little bit of a one-size-fits-all approach and your skin might be quite different, you know, to somebody else's that's having, um, you know, even similar presentations of issues. But I found that for most people, water cleansing and a little bit of jojoba oil can help reduce inflammation quite quickly. And then if you want to add some other products in, because there are a lot of lovely herbal-based products, aromatherapy-based products, um, you know, lovely organic natural skincare that can really help to sort of basically help the skin to do its job of, of repair. But if you're having a lot of breakouts and you're having a lot of inflammation, I think it's really important to just get back to basics and don't stress the skin out with too many added lotions and potions just to get back to basics. And then you'll know whatever you're putting onto your skin, if it's the thing that's causing irritation. Absolutely. And I 100% agree with you there. Less is always more, especially with sort of skincare products. And I think what happens is a lot of the time people sort of buy into the marketing propaganda that a lot of these brands are kind of selling. And that's quite tough. And then you have to buy this product, this product, this product to get this end result. Oh, absolutely. I've had clients that have found that their acne has cleared up purely by stopping using toner, for example that they realized that it was wow, actually yeah. a toner that was causing the breakouts or sunscreens within a daily moisturizer that they were having a reaction to. Um, and I think, you know, just being able to get back to a baseline of very, you know, low, low irritant kind of basic skincare. And then you can try, you know, each of your favorite products Try it for three days and, and to see how your skin feels, see how it responds. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head there. Is what a lot of these products are doing is just stripping, stripping your skin further. And that's certainly not what you want to do. I love rosehip oil is another one, like jojoba oil, which is quite nourishing and really nice for the skin. Yeah, rosehip is fantastic, particularly for um, a drier skin or, or an older skin. But for you know, a younger skin, people in their teens, even in their early 20s, it can be too rich and can actually sort of clog the pores a bit. So it depends on what your what your skin wants, what it's crying out for. Some people can, you know, tolerate macadamia oil or even coconut oil, which is like a very rich, rich oil. But then for other people, you know, they might be recommended to use, say, coconut oil because they're finding that they're getting say cold sores or um, other sort of viral skin issues, etc. they find that it actually causes them to break out. So it really does depend on, the, on your life stage as well, what, what oils are going to suit your skin. Definitely. Yeah, I find that with coconut oil. Sometimes it's okay when I put it on my skin, but then other times I'll start coming out in this sort of not it's like a heat rash it's just my my skin reacts to it and it starts getting really hot like I've had this allergic reaction but mm -hmm. it doesn't happen all the time it's really really bizarre well I guess you know at different times um even of just the year we have different levels of hormones different levels of inflammatory um you know chemicals going through our body we have 
different states of, of stress on, you know, on and within our skin, heat stress, as you said, you know, some people find that they do get heat rashes if they're sort of clogging up their pores a bit and not able to sweat as they normally will. So yeah, if you change products and go to Bikram yoga, you might find that you do get a sort of heat rash, little, you know, prickly heat sort of situation. So yeah, the skin skin is quite amazing. The, the number of functions and and number of things that can actually react with our skin it's it's quite incredible. Oh, it really is. Do you know the microfiber cloths? Now you said you use a different one every day. So can you wash them and reuse them, or they're sort of throwaway ones? Wash and reuse, absolutely. Great. But if That's you dry really them in the tip. sun. It, it's it's even better because drying them in the sun will help to kill any bacteria. But just a nice warm wash with a um, with a, a, a nice liquid detergent that has a couple of drops of tea tree oil or I like a little bit of eucalyptus oil in there as well is great just to make sure that it's really washing off any of that bacteria, particularly important for acne-prone skin. Absolutely. That's a fantastic tip because I think a lot of people will say, oh, I can't just wash my face with water. It's not going to get out all the stuff. But as you say, using the microfibers, that really gets all those kind of things out of your skin, mm. all the dirt. Yeah, I, I think it's quite it's quite amazing. It works a lot better than having, you know, a makeup remover, than a cleanser, than a toner, than, you know, I think um, it's certainly worth a try. Definitely, because when you see a lot of older, the older generation, sort of like my, you know, my nan's age, if I speak to my nan, she just barely puts nothing on her skin and she has this amazing skin and all she's ever used is pretty much water and a flannel. So, uh, and a little bit of um, moisturiser and she has this amazing skin. So, less is definitely more. (laughs) Same same with my grandmother and I think, um, yeah, she swears by it, not putting soap on your skin. So, just want to talk a little bit more about some natural solutions for healthy skin and skin nutrition. And we have talked a bit about diet and lifestyle. So if you can just give us sort of your top tips of what we could do naturopathically through diet, nutrition and lifestyle to improve our skin health overall. Uh, absolutely. I'd love to. I, well, top tip, obviously, use the microfiber cloth and reduce your skincare as much as possible um, to see whatever triggers might be occurring for you. I'd also uh, follow as much as possible an um, anti-inflammatory diet. So add in a lot more extra virgin olive oil. If you eat um, meat, I would definitely steer towards your fish, uh, oily fish particularly, and a little bit of chicken and reduce your red meat. Uh, They have found that people that have as I was saying before, better glycemic control, so lower blood sugar levels do have much more youthful and healthy-looking skin. So um, a Mediterranean diet, for example, or a plant-based diet is going to be much more helpful for keeping that blood sugar level stable. So no no sugar. Sounds very boring, but no, no added sugar. Um, and you feel fantastic for it. You know, it only takes... A couple of weeks really to get used to not putting you know a couple of teaspoons of sugar in your coffee or tea and swapping out biscuits for something more nutritious like say um even a banana and a handful of nuts uh rather than you know a piece of cake and it, it won't just help your skin it'll help your whole body so uh following a, a anti-inflammatory 
plant-based predominantly diet will, will really go a long way. Intermittent fasting, you know, if that's something that you are up for and something that you can handle. I mean, pregnant women or growing children, you know, these these types um, of, of life stages aren't great for the intermittent fasting. But if you're just a normal healthy person and you want to give that a go, then that can be really helpful um, and can actually help to sensitize your insulin um, response so that you do do better with um, the way that you handle food and the way that you handle inflammation and also look into look into your gut health try some probiotics um, and and if you really have some serious you know gut health issues or detoxification issues you know if you're feeling sluggish you suffer constipation things like that it can be a really great boost just to go and see somebody like a naturopath or a herbalist that can help support you on your health journey because You'll be really surprised at the, the flow-on effect. Some people come to see a naturopath or a herbalist purely because they're having gut issues and they don't actually mention that they've also got eczema or psoriasis or dermatitis and they're just delighted when those conditions also resolve because they've been treating the underlying cause. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. It's always like somebody comes in to clinic with one thing and then before you know it, sort of, there's about 10 other things that we need to address as well over the course of the treatment. So, so could you just talk a little bit more about intermittent fasting? Because there's different ways that you can do this and there's different sort of schools of thought. What's your recommendation if somebody did want to try intermittent fasting? What's the best way to do it? Well, the, the way that works best for me would be the 16 and 8. So you have eight hours of normal, well, when I say normal eating, of healthy eating of healthy eating, um, of naturopathic eating, so predominantly fruits, vegetables, um, whole grains, nuts and seeds, um, and then you fast for 16 hours. So, you, you know, you, you sort of work that out to suit you when you most are like, you know, want to eat. I think finishing eating by about 7 p.m. is always good, though, because you want to have at least a couple of hours before you go to sleep. Um, when you know, from finishing eating to when you go to sleep so that you're comfortable to um, drift off. It's not that nice to go to bed with a full stomach and it can actually give you poor sleep. So as long as it sort of works with your daily routine, just picking picking hours that will work for you. Some people like to do, um, as you're saying, you know, different sort of like the five to two days of, of, you know, only having 500 calories. I, I don't particularly like counting calories. So for me, I think it's just nice, sensible, healthy eating within a certain time frame, and then giving your digestion um, a rest and your body a chance to repair. Absolutely. It's sensible and, and simple as well. So I really like the 16 and 8 because it's, you know, it's easy to follow and I think people a bit more achievable for people. Mm-hmm. So are there any herbal teas or any herbs in particular that might help skin? Uh, I find St. Mary's thistle is very useful for acne. So it's, it's a lovely liver support, um, which is often really crucial when in helping to normalize hormones. Uh, so St. Mary's thistle is one that I regularly recommend. I usually um, recommend that in a tablet though, because you, you can eat the little lump seeds, but you've got to eat quite a lot and they're 
not particularly delicious. Um, a <laughs> delicious herb that you can have is cinnamon. So cinnamon helps. Um, it's great for, it's a great antioxidant and it actually helps to, with insulin support as well. So it's very useful for, um, yeah, stabilizing insulin levels and for wrinkles and damage caused by excessive sugar it can help, um, help, help us with our circulation as well, which is important for healthy skin. So having plenty of cinnamon. Chamomile is another useful one. So chamomile, um, even just chamomile tea bags, once they're cooled, you can rub it on, um, you know, some distressed skin, dry, damaged kind of skin and inflamed skin. It helps to soothe sunburn as well. So, and chamomile is a really nice digestive support as well. So that can help if, if digestive issues are sort of one of the root causes. And I also like aloe vera topically for inflamed skin, dermatitis and sunburn. Yes, I love aloe as well. So that's the first thing when I have that flare up with the coconut oil, I go and cut a piece of aloe and start rubbing that over my face and it just calms it in, in you know, a couple of minutes. So aloe is fantastic. Great. Yeah. And it's a lovely little, it's a lovely one that you can have to hand, you know, in your own little garden if, if possible as well, because it sort of seems to grow without too much care. Great. Some fantastic tips there, Gemma. Thank you so much. So now just to finish up, I'd just like to ask you, what advice would you give to anyone wanting to improve their health and perhaps study nutrition or naturopathy? Are there any particular courses you recommend as a good starting point? So our Nutrition for Everyday Living course is a fantastic starting point for learning about nutrition and the important different variables of, of the foods that we that can go into our body and how they can harm or heal us. We eat every day, so we have the opportunity for healing and nourishing ourselves every day or, you know, on the flip side, potentially doing some damage or um you know, participating in something that we don't particularly want, like exacerbating um, eczema or, or acne, for example. So I think it's a fantastic skill to learn how to use food um, as your greatest health ally. So I think nutrition for everyday living would definitely be a great starting point. And if skin is a particular passion of yours or, you know, if it's something that you've um, you know, struggled with and you want to learn more about there's a lovely natural skincare course as well which i think is a great supplement to you know understanding how how best to support support our health and our wellness and and our skin which is obviously what we greet the world with so if we've got healthy skin we're much more prone to feeling confident and happy and absolutely i think we all want to look and feel our best don't we and appearance is such a a huge one for many people and the great thing about that course as well is that you can actually learn how to make your own natural skincare products as well as learning all about sort of natural skincare and nutrition and how that all plays together well that's all we've got time for today thanks for listening and a big thank you to you Gemma for sharing your knowledge with us my pleasure thanks for having me you can find all the information we discussed today and more about Gemma in the show notes on the CNM website www.cnmpodcast.com CNM has a range of courses from short intro classes through to full diplomas, so be sure to check those out too. Join us again next week when I talk to homeopathic doctor Jodie Cahill about first aid homeopathy and the essential remedies to keep at home for ailments such as cuts, bruises and nausea. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favourite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. 
While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.